Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm John, and it's another bonus voicemail episode where we answer some of your lovely calls. And thank you very much for sending them in. And we're going to get straight to that after the music. So, without further ado, let's see who our first calls from. Hi, John and Hannah. This is Ron Frazier. I just wanted to take the time to say that I really appreciated the episodes that have come out recently. Thanks very much, Ron. That's very kind of you. Glad you enjoyed them. Uh, I enjoyed the discussion over the fudging rolls and the feedback that folks are giving you about that. Continuing the discussion, it's really fantastic. It gives me lots of things to think about yeah that whole discussion thing is one of the things i really enjoy about podcasting and getting to do these bonus episodes where we answer people's call-ins is really cool it doesn't just feel like it's us shouting into a mic it feels more like a sort of conversation so glad you're enjoying that as well i would say that i lean slightly towards john's point of view than hannah's with all that um comes down to it as far as the money as far as spending money, yeah, I see the same thing. My players just don't know what to do with money. They don't seem to be interested in doing stuff like building strongholds or forging alliances, using financial means. It just seems to be about loot. Maybe that's a failing on my part, or maybe that's just uh, a thing that um, the newer players are into. I don't know. i got to examine that some more. But I really appreciate the discussion. Talk to you later. Thanks very much, Ron. Really appreciate your call. And yeah, I've got to admit, I do sometimes wonder with, with the whole thing about money, whether it's due to like differences in the, the sort of setting and the time that it's held in. I mean, after all, let's face it, we all know what we spend money on in real life. If you suddenly had a bit of a windfall and you got some money, you'd be able to be like, all right, I'm going to do up the house. I'm going to spend time doing this. You know, if you get enough, maybe I'm going to retire early. That's the dream, you know. But I think part of it, because we don't really live in the sort of faux medieval like D&D sort of setting, it can be quite difficult depending on what you know about the setting, to determine like what would I spend all of this cash on, you know? What's the sort of thing that people buy? So I I'm not really sure of a solution to that, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Maybe we need to like offer players more stuff to spend this money on. One more thing about grabbing a map. I'm also a big fan of Dyson Logos. I am a patron of Dyson Logos, even though the maps are out there for free, because I really believe in um their you know their work and i use their work all the time in my D and fantasy games and even in my non-fantasy games so just wanted to say that great choice yeah i couldn't agree more ron dyson logos produces some absolute grade a quality maps and they're really brilliant resources for almost any role-playing game but i've certainly found that particularly for sort of like fantasy DD games but as ron rightly said you can use them for different games as well highly recommend you check them out again i'll put a link in the description to this episode to dyson logos website if you're looking for a map or some advice or interesting thoughts on how to draw your own maps definitely go and check them out and next up, we have a voicemail from Glenn Halstrom, a.k.a. Old Man Grognod. Go ahead, Glenn. Just listen to your home, home humanocentric campaign episode. And, oh boy, 
I, I'm going to have to do my take on this on my show. But yeah, humanocentric is really interesting. One of my regular games is Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And you have no choice. You have to play a human. Yeah, got to agree. Astonishing Swords and Swordsmen of Hyperborea is a great game. I ran it a little bit myself albeit using my sort of own background, but using the rules and classes from it. And like you say, it's a really great example of a D&D-esque game that's very humano-centric. There are a couple of little like additional options, but in the main, it's all humans all the time. I've got a copy of the previous version, and I'm looking forward to getting the latest edition, because I'm back to the Kickstarter for it. But there are so many different cultures of human in fact, in the third edition, I believe that um, I believe Jeff Telanian added like three or four more, and it's basically a role playing thing. You don't really get any advantage of it, but it's kind of fun. So I did. If anybody's interested in something more human, try out Hyperbore. It's really great. I'm not here to plug Hyperbore, but you know, <laughs> no, that's fine, dude. It's always great to hear people talking about games that they're passionate about. And as I've just said, I'm a big fan of Hyperborea myself. And I think you touch on a very important point there of like how interesting it can be to play a human, albeit a human from a specific place or a specific culture. Because to my mind, it's far more satisfying rather than just saying like, "Oh, I am miss." human barbarian to say oh i am a human from the horse lands we are nomads who ride in tribes and then spiel off into a little bit of detail about that it really just ties everything into the setting and it adds an awful lot from my point of view but anyway that's that's kind of my take on that uh it's it's just a fun game and once you get into once the players get into just being human and being different types of human and it's really interesting to watch the role playing there it really is it, once they get into it but i'll anyway great show man i love it keep up the good work and i'll talk to you later bye-bye Thanks very much, Glenn. We're really glad you enjoyed the episodes we've done recently. And thank you very much for the voicemail. It's greatly appreciated. And Glenn actually put out his own episode called All the Humanity. It was released on February the 25th, which is yesterday as I'm recording this. I've just finished listening to this. He makes some great points in that, particularly about the idea of getting yourself to think outside the box by like limiting the amount of options you have. Really enjoyed the episode, and I'm going to put a link to that in the description. It's a great sort of episode. I highly recommend you go and listen to it. And next up, we have a call from my old pal, Rob Davis from Canada. Take it away, Rob. Hi, John and Hannah. I was wanted to comment on your video about fudging, something I feel strongly about. Uh, against tradition, I am hugely on John's side in this case. Unless teaching someone the game, I don't think there's ever a good reason to fudge. Um, one thing that you guys uh, did not talk about uh, one option you did not talk about, which surprised me, was um, there's another out. You don't – sometimes GMs might think they have to fudge because otherwise the, the story is over, the party is wiped, whatever. But parties can lose and not die. 
This is an excellent point that Rob's making here. There is no reason because you lose in a scenario that your character has to die or that death is the inevitable end. Thanks for bringing that up, Rob. I think we did actually chat a bit about that while we were recording the episode, but trying to sort of keep the episode down to a reasonable length. Obviously, we have to cut some stuff out, but we've always got wonderful listeners like yourself to bring up these points and get the conversation going. But Rob's got a bit more to say about this. There are countless scenarios in real life where someone has certainly lost a fight or been victim of a crime and still survived. Um, in Star Wars on the planet Hoth, Luke lost against the Wampa, but he didn't die. He just wound up in a cave. So consider that as an option if things go sideways as a GM. Uh, another quick point is GMs need to be careful to not put the players in scenarios where there is no retreat option. If the players see a fight going badly and they can retreat and they don't, well, then it's kind of on them, right? Because they were just arrogant enough or, I don't know, foolish enough to fight to the death. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say. Love in the videos. Bye. Thanks very much, Rob, for your call in. Very much appreciated. Some absolutely great points there. And we've got another call in from Rob to follow up where he's talking about our recent money-based episode. Good video. Lots of good points. I have nothing to disagree with. A couple little things I'll add that might be helpful to someone. Um, when, when someone asks me for world-building advice, uh, one of the things I tell them is to... Define, figure out what the average day of an average non-adventuring, non-noble citizen is like. What, what kind of job might they have? Where do they work? Who, and how much do they get paid? That includes that. And when you can uh, figure out a daily wage for an average citizen, that helps to give you a good baseline to determine uh, the costs of what other things should be in your world. They can all be based from there and how how valuable treasure is and so on and so forth. And yes, regarding taxes, and it might not just be taxes for mercenaries. Oh, do you own a building? Oh, there's a property tax. Um, I had a group once, they owned a silver mine and they had to pay tax to the government for that. So um, always try and give your players reasons to want money and to need to spend it so that it is something they like getting as treasure. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again, Robert. Much appreciated. Some great points there. We've actually got an episode coming out next Tuesday from when we publish this. So that'll be Tuesday, the 1st of March called spreadsheets in RPGs, where we sort of talk a little bit about that and probably sort of touch on some of the points you've covered there but yeah i think it's very important to keep in mind the sort of things that money is spent on in games and next up we have another voicemail from glenn halstrom where he's talking about the stereotypical characteristics in demi humans episode that we did a short while ago take it away glenn Hi, John. Old man Grognard here. Just listened to your stereotypical demi-human episode. Very good. Very good. Yes, stereotypes have a function. And yes, it is great for if you've got a, a character who, you know, you want to get a hook on right away, you can play the stereotype. Lord knows there's going to be players who do that. And even NPCs can fall into that trap. But my, my rule is stereotypes are there to be broken. 
they are the standard and I will try and deviate from that standard any chance I get. That doesn't mean you can't play a typical dwarf or elf, but they will have something more. There's something more in their makeup. And you give a great example of a dwarf who doesn't really know all of that much about mining and stonework. It's just that his family, his family were outcasts. And as you say, and yeah, and, and that's good. That's good. That's the kind of thing I would think of. Uh, I played characters who have just, you know, done like 180 from, from what, what people expect, you know, because it, 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 it works, you know? Um, I'm probably going to elaborate this on my show on, on an episode. So, uh, but thank you for the idea. And that was a great episode and, uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, Glenn. Very much appreciated. Glad you liked the episode. And yeah, I think Glenn makes a good point there that this sort of like the stereotypical depiction of demi-humans is really just sort of like a baseline from which you can then branch out because let's face it, if every, character has of a certain race in terms of like D&D has crazy different characteristics and there's no baseline it's that whole idea of you know if everything's weird then nothing's weird if everything's magical nothing's magical if you see what I'm saying whereas if like 99.9% of dwarves conform to like the stereotypical minor dwarf trope then you have one guy who comes in and he's like, actually, no, I'm not really down with that mine and I just want to be like a baker. That's my thing. Then that guy now really stands out by virtue of his distance from that baseline. And I think that's one of the main uses of these sort of stereotypes. And next up, we have a series of calls from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Highly recommend you check out that podcast. And first of all, he's talking about NPC classes. So take it away, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here. So as far as NPC classes, what you outlay is, you know, totally good way to do it. I don't really give combat stats unless I need them, to be honest. And then... I'll tend to go to the monster manual and just use the humanoid ones in there, you know, with whatever hit dice they are. But, you know, I for Advanced Thunder Dragons First Edition, there's also more stuff in the DMG. There's stuff about statting out, like, NPC adventuring parties at different levels. So you can roll up an NPC adventuring party. Now, that gives them player class, player character classes. But, you know, it's got a whole system in there to generate those Advanced Thunder Dragons is also famous for, in the Dragon articles, Dragon Magazine, of having NPC classes like the Witch and the Archer and things like that that you could use to for your NPC classes. It, so if I'm playing d and I'll kind of go that route. Yeah, there's some great stuff in the old so first edition AD&D DMG about stuff like that. And in games like Old School Essentials, which is my particular flavor at the moment, there are online generators and rules in there for generating NPC groups. Like, you know, if you come across an adventuring party in a random encounter, although these do tend to focus on the player character classes that they might have, as Jason was saying in his calling. I vaguely remember some Dragon Magazine articles back in the day talking about NPC classes, and that's sort of what spurred the episode. I almost think it'd be nice if there was some sort of collected 
book, maybe in sort of like OSR style, that had versions of NPC classes in that you could use, since obviously a lot of these old Dragon magazines aren't really readily available, to the best of my knowledge, anymore. And I know they did like CD-ROM compilations and stuff like that, but they tend to go for a bit of a ludicrous amount now. Maybe you can get them now on DriveThruRPG. I don't know. I've not really looked into it. But thank you very much for the call-in, Jason. Some great suggestions there. More often, though, I'm not running D&D. I don't run D&D that often. I'm usually running games like Barbarians Lemuria, maybe Cyberpunk 2020, something like that. So in Barbarians Lemuria, I'm in minions or something like that. Well, they, they already have stats. So for a, somebody that's kind of a big bad or, or kind of equal to the player characters almost... You have to stat them out almost fully in Barbarians Lemuria just because the way the game works, which it doesn't take long to create a character in that game, so it's not a big deal, but you pretty much have to make them, build them out fully like PCs. For Cyberpunk 2020, I don't fully stat them out. I'll just give them the combat stats, the necessary stats they need. If they're a, say they're a hacker, you know, net runner that's going to, the group hires to get into a computer, I'll just give them whatever skills they need to do that just enough that i'll have to roll but i won't bother filling them all the way out hope that helps hey john jason here i'm going to sound like a broken record but i'm going to talk about barbarians of lemuria for a minute you just did an episode on human-centric campaigns and while i have not done that with D, i have done it with barbarians lemuria and it works really well yeah, entirely agree with Jason here. Barbarians of Lemuria is a great game if you want that sword and sorcery style flavour. And I've been lucky enough to play in a game that Jason ran of it. Had a great time, very much enjoyed it. But I think Jason's now going to tell us a little bit more about the game itself. So Barbarians of Lemuria is a sword and sorcery game. It's meant to do sword and sorcery movies or Robert E. Howard's like Conan or things like that. And while there are a couple non-human races in the game per se there's blue giants and winged men i i pretty much always limit my players to playing humans and it works out really well a more d and, and i've run a number of games and campaigns with barbarians lemuria always works out well I, I, as far as D, &D go, goes though because barbarians lemuria is a little bit different than D, as far as the game mechanics talk about a D, &D style game in hyperborea or Astonishing Swordsman Sources Hyperborea. We essentially have what you laid out in your podcast, where instead of having different races, you have different cultures of humanity. So now I think in the in the late that was the earlier versions of Hyperborea. Now they've added in Atlanteans, which have gills, kind of like Kevin Costner in Waterworld. So now in I believe in the newest version, I haven't really looked at the PDFs. I think the hard copies are shipping soon. I'm kind of excited to see that, but. Yeah, likewise, I've got the PDFs of the, the latest edition of Hyperborea that I backed on Kickstarter. I've not really looked into them in depth because I struggle with reading PDFs on a screen for any length of time. But I can't wait to get my hands on those sweet, sweet hard copies. Just got to find some space on my bookshelf to actually store it. it so there are some, non, some enhanced humans, I guess, in the newest version. But if I was running it, I would just cut those out and make them non-player characters races I, I wouldn't let people play those because i think there's a I, I think you can get a lot of fun out of playing just humans now i'm fine playing other things and other games and i find having other things in games i run but if i'm running sword and sorcery i want it to be human centric 
Yes, and you raise an interesting point there, Jason. I often myself associate swords and sorcery with largely like humanocentric campaigns. When I think swords and sorcery, I think of human protagonists. I don't think of like elves and dwarves and stuff like that. And I have no problems with those characters in like a standard D and D game. But yes, yeah, swords and sorcery, I'd largely think of as humanocentric. And most of the sort of stories I've read, the films I've seen that would ostensibly be in that genre, tend to feature very human sort of protagonists and antagonists albeit generally a little removed from our sort of modern day humans but almost sort of like a mythic version of humanity and that's part of the appeal of swords and sorcery for me so i I think it just depends if i'm running a high fantasy then you can be whatever weird you know non-human thing you want to be take care great episode on non-humans and semi-humans and stereotypes and all that i mean obviously it's going to depend on your world, how similar they are. But when we think about super diverse backgrounds and all that, and we look back in history, obviously people are people, and some of the same drives and motivations haven't changed over the centuries. But let's be honest: if you grew up in a mining town in you know ancient times, well, chances of you, especially if you're a male growing up and being a miner, are pretty darn good. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And to go with the sort of stereotypical dwarven example that we used in that episode, if we know that dwarves spend all their time mining under the mountains, looking for gems, and by necessity, because they've got to dig out those tunnels and those huge treasure vaults somehow, then it stands to reason that a large portion of their population are probably going to be engaged in mining pursuits. And that's not to say that there won't be dwarves doing other things like baking, cooking, crafts, and stuff like that, but a large chunk of them are going to be miners. And, well, if most of the the race are miners, then someone from the outside might see them and just make the assumption that, well, all dwarves are miners. So when you live in a world where you don't travel, you know, five miles away from your village your whole life then sometimes stereotypes are probably going to be kind of accurate. So not, not not totally, and I'm probably coming across a lot worse than I should be. But I, I agree with you. And like you say, there's plenty of time to develop during the game. For the most part, I agree with you that, you know, what happens during the game is what happens. I do like to do downtime things between sessions, whether that be shopping or whether it be you know, you could do training or, you know, when we were kids and when we were able to play D&D for eight hours at a time, it was different. Ah, yes. I remember those mythical long lost days when you could play D&D for eight hours a day. Great days. Great days. But now that most of our D&D is, you know, three hours online, you, there's a lot of things that happen that you really don't want to spend a lot of time on. And especially in games like Pathfinder, where you have crafting and things like that, a lot of, you know, if one person spends half an hour doing all this cool crafting stuff, that's really cool for them, but everybody else is twiddling their thumbs. So if you could do all that between sessions, I think that's totally valid. So I, I agree with you on the backstory comment and, and the idea that, you know, the characters develop during the game but i do think there's a place for between game things take care 
Yeah, I think Jason's absolutely right here. There is a place for between game things and sort of downtime things, you know. If your players are into that and interested in that, I've got an episode coming up I mentioned it earlier where I talk about some possibilities with regards to that, specifically with me looking at the Adventurer Conqueror King system, although I don't go into too much detail on the system. And in fact, I backed a zine on a recent Kickstarter called Downtime in Zion, which is a, an entire zine devoted to discussing activities between adventures. That Kickstarter has closed now, smashed its funding goals, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. In fact, one of the things that really grabs me when I look at a new OSR clone or zine is if it has some new and fresh ideas for how you can include downtime activities in your game. Because as Jason said, I think they can be an important part of your game. And we're going to round the show off with our final call from Jason, where he's talking about some of the reviews that we've done recently. I just wanted to call to comment, you've been doing these reviews of Lamentation of Flame Prince's modules, and I've been listening to the reviews and enjoying them, and I know I haven't been giving you a lot of comments on them, um, but they are pretty interesting, and it is kind of a shame they're doing the Edgelord thing along with it, because there are some really neat ideas in there. I, I would definitely change up some things if I was going to run them. I'm not a fan of using living religions, you, you know, current mo- religions people follow in the modern world in my games. But I, I think even like that last one you did, White Power, you could easily play around with that and make it into something else. And, and it's it's a really interesting concept and, and a neat, you know, falls in neat, like, kind of horror concept. And, and, and I, I like some of the concepts in there, definitely. I would just change it up. But thank you so much for putting those out. I know I haven't given you a lot of feedback on them, but I do appreciate what you're doing. Thanks very much, Jason. That is very much appreciated. And don't worry, dude, about not giving us much feedback about that. You are one of the stalwarts for leaving voicemails and call-ins to this and many other podcasts, and it is very, very much appreciated. In terms of Lamentations of the Flame Princess, yeah, okay, they do go like pretty edgelord and lean in pretty heavily to that sometimes. One of the things I like about it, though, is because there's almost like no sort of publisher-imposed limits when people write adventures, there's a boundless creativity in the adventures that are written for it and yet sure that sometimes means that for me personally some of the source books miss the mark a little or they're a little bit too esoteric or like bizarre for me but it also means that there's a loads of stuff i see in them that i would never have considered and that might not have been published by a more mainstream company that has some really interesting ideas and some really great fodder for a gaming so i think it's worth the odd occasional like dud or stuff that doesn't really mesh with how i run games for the many many other things i've read in that system that have really inspired me and propelled my game in interesting new directions so that's all of our calls for this episode i'd just like to thank all of my wonderful callers ron frazier glenn halstrom aka old man grognard rob davis and of course jason from nerds rpg variety cast all of your call-ins are greatly appreciated guys in keeping this sort of conversational spirit going if you'd like to be potentially featured in a future voicemail episode discussing either episodes we've done or maybe just some general stuff about rpgs we'd love to hear what you have to say we obviously publish the voicemails 
as these are bonus episodes only really on the podcast at the minute not on youtube although if we get enough demand for them on youtube as well maybe we'll switch to doing them there as well although they will stay in the podcast as well if you'd like to leave us a message you can do so in a few different ways you can leave a voicemail either on speakpipe or via anchor link in the description of this episode or you can send us an email to rdd at gmail.com until we catch you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun catch you soon <laughs>